start at the start of a new year? How is everybody feeling about the new year? Besides frigid. <laughs> I can't blame the school. It is a three-day weekend, right? And heat, I can't imagine how much it would take to heat up this room from 19 degrees to comfortable for us for a couple hours. But burr, okay? So just, let me just acknowledge that. Um, one of the cool things about being in this space is that you can see what's holding this building up, right? You can see these big beams. Um, how many of you have bought a house that's used and somebody told you it had good bones? Anybody ever bought a house that had good bones? Did it actually have good bones? Um, how many of you have built a house? I've, I've seen some, yeah, a couple of you, that's awesome. What's so cool is that walking into that space, you get to see what's holding it up, right? You get to see the framework. That's how we're starting the year, is looking at what is the framework of our faith, really. What's holding us up? You can rest secure that our faith has good bones, that they've been tested. They've standed the test of thousands of years, and they're still standing, and they're good. And while you can change up, you know, the light fixtures and the carpet, so to speak, you know, you could walk into a, a different church and see a different style of music, or you could cross the globe, and you could be in another church speaking another language. Maybe they're in a hidden home. Maybe they're in a big cathedral. But the point being that across time and language, our faith has a framework that you can rest secure on. So in a year where there is so much, I mean, even from an American standpoint that's unsure, we are starting the year proactively setting a framework and saying, this is solid, this is unchanging, and I can, I can rest my life on it. And so last week, we started by looking at what it is that we are created. We looked at the first pages of Scripture and said, fundamentally, one of the giant poles of our faith is that we have a creator who loves us, who made us. That when we were given the choice to do life apart from him and chose that autonomy and all of that came with it, he still made a way back to intimate life with the creator should we want it, right? Today we're looking at what it is to be loved, that fundamentally at the, at the root and the base of our faith, we are a people who are loved by God and we can be secure in God's love. And there's so many, if you imagine the, the 66 books of the Bible as 66 drywalled moments, I could peel back any one of them and show you the framework of being loved. But since we're kind of going from Genesis to Revelation over these six weeks, we're gonna pause in the book of Exodus. And I'm going to eventually get to Exodus 34. So just trust me that that's where we're going today. We are loved by God and we are secure in his love. This passage, I, I went here particularly because of a unique word for love that shows up in this passage. So when you hear it, listen for the idea of steadfast love and faithfulness. So um, hear, hear God's word. This is from Genesis 34. And just because it's so stinking cold, if you don't have a lap blanket, would you stand up for the reading of God's word? We're just going to like, we're going to keep, we're going to keep the blood flowing. Okay. Genesis 34 is not the same as Exodus 34. Let's get to Je Exodus. Okay. Exodus 34, beginning with verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there at Mount Sinai, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, 
the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, do a couple squats and then sit down. Okay, this passage is so beautiful because this is all about who God is and how he acts. Who God is and how he acts. It started with the word, the Lord, the Lord. If you're reading this in your Bible, you would have seen all capital letters for L-O-R-D because it's a proper name. His name is Yahweh. The Jewish God revealed himself with a Hebrew name that is a verb that means I am who I am. I stand on my own and I am. We sang today, we opened worship with Revelation 4, the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is. Some of you guys have worked a job where you've been on a team and you ask the question, who's on this? And you could imagine, you could picture the person who says, I am. And that person goes like, oh shoot, that's never going to happen, right? You've been on that team. But you've also had the person on the team when they go, oh, I'm on that. And you're like, okay, phew, it's going to be okay, right? This is the secure, I am who I am. I am on it. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last, I am. That is God's name. Isn't that incredible? That's what he proclaims about who he is. And then the rest of the proclamation of who God is is about who he is for us. Who he is and what he does in relationship to us. He says, I am the Lord gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving And by no, visiting, this is, this is who God is and it's what he does. And the key word I want to lean into today in that is this word steadfast love and faithfulness. You guys are great scholars here at Kitsap House, so let me teach you a Hebrew word. The word hesed, can you say hesed? Hesed. Hesed is a covenant word. It's a relationship word that is a word of constant love, love that is unshakable and constant. Be students for a second, because I want to make sure you grasp just even the basic framework of what it is for God to have covenant love for us, because that, that, it's that idea of covenant love that makes us so secure, okay? So um, covenant, we don't use that word very much anymore. We do use it a little bit for a marriage covenant. That's kind of your one shot now. But in this day and age where Moses was living on Mount Sinai, it was a word for Egypt and Assyria and the whole ancient Near East. It was how you came into relationship with a person or a nation to decide we're going to be constant toward one another. And there's plenty of historical record, very, very normal structure for covenant. It's this is me. And you go, okay. And this is me over here. And the two of us are saying, we're going to be in relationship together. And when we are, these are all the good things that are going to happen. But if you 
uh, are a traitor. If you turn against this covenant, this is the curse that's coming, okay? So here I am, here you are, this is all that's good, and woe if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, okay? And that covenant, this is, I'm not talking like just Bible here, I'm talking ancient Near East history, okay? When a covenant was made, there would be a sacrifice given, and an animal would be cut in two, and the two people, this is me and this is me, we would walk through the pieces of the animal and say, let that be like me if I'm the one who messes up this covenant, okay? So this is like real serious, constant love, faithful covenant love that's being promised between two people. Okay, this is the nature of our relationship with God. It didn't start in Exodus, but I'm not supposed to preach Genesis 15, but I can't help it. So, the God initiated covenant with us and said, this is who I am, and this is who you are to Abram. And then he said, this is what life's going to look like. You're going to have a people, a place, and my presence forever while things are good. And if things go wrong, here's the animal sliced in half. Now, here's what's interesting. In that covenant, things were different than the ancient Near East because Abram never walked between the pieces. In that moment, God put him into a deep sleep, and God himself walked through the pieces, a little glimpse of the Trinity. If you want to go be a student about that, go read Genesis 15, and maybe some of these pieces will come together. But it's important because in this moment of Exodus 34, God is renewing his covenant with his people. It's like the 50-year wedding you know, um, renewal of vows, except it's been a lot more than 50 years. And the circumstances are very different. In this moment, I didn't read any of the context of Exodus, did I? In this moment, it's as if God is renewing his covenant vows with his people right after finding out that he got, a, that he got cheated on. Like, can you imagine doing your 50-year wedding anniversary vows right on the heels of finding out you've been cheated on your whole life? That's what God does with his people. It is so crazy. So let me bring you up to speed in Exodus for students, right? I'm actually fast-forwarding. This is like Genesis to Exodus. You're getting this. Quick, quick. Okay. So Exodus was a story of God delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt, and they walked them through the Red Sea. Who was the guy who acted as Moses? Moses. Who was that? Charlton Heston. Okay. So this is, if you need, that's your student lesson for Exodus. Okay. So God is teaching them how to trust him by feeding them every day, bringing them water in the desert. He's actually a cloud in front of them and they can actually see him. And then they've gotten to Mount Sinai. And here's the moment where God's going to say, this is what it's going to look like to live in covenant with me. This is what it's going to look like to live a holy life with me. And twice God's people said, sounds great. They actually say everything that the Lord has said we will do. Oh, let's say it again. Everything that God has said we will do. They say it twice. And then Moses is like, great, goes up on the mountain into the actual cloud that they can see to get the instructions from God on how to live in covenant faithfulness. Here I am. This is what I'm agreeing to, right? He goes up the mountain to get that. And in that moment, the people down at the bottom of the mountain say, you know what, it's, Moses has been gone a while, like a month. He's gone 40 days. I don't know what happened to that guy. 
I don't know what God is up to. You know what? Let's take this moment into our own hands. This is just Genesis 3 all over again. They take all the gold and they put it in a fire and out, out pops a golden calf, right? And the priests say, here's your God who delivered you out of Egypt. Let's worship him. Unfaithful people. Faithful God. So Moses comes down, sees all this happening, and he's like, there's no way God's going with us. And he goes back up the mountain to plead with God to please still remain faithful. Please come and be with your people. If, you're gonna, if we're going to leave Mount Sinai and go to the promised land, I don't want to go without you. Would you let me know who you are? And it's in that moment that God renews his covenant. So hear it again. I am the Lord, the Lord. I am who I am. Gracious and compassionate, slow to, out, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love. Keeping hesed. Forgiving. Full scope. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. By no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. This is who I am. I am still in covenant to you. Friends, what you do can never change who God is. What you do can never change who God is. He is the God of hesed, of covenant love and faithfulness. It is a pillar that is strong that you can be secure about. And I bet you've cringed with me every time I read the last line of who he is. Did you cringe? By no means does he clear the guilty, but he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Gosh, I love leaving that part off. Right? But I was reminded as I reviewed a 30-page paper that I wrote in seminary on this passage that there is a connecting word in Hebrew between forgiving and visiting. There's a connecting word. His love and his justice are fundamentally connected in unity. They cannot be separated. And so the question comes back just like it did last week in, as we read the book of Genesis, we said, how do we get back into right creation with God? How do we get back when we have turned against God, when we have found other things to love, when we found ways to control life and keep things manageable apart from God, when we've loved other things more than God, when we've straight up followed other faiths, how do we get reconnected with the God who was and who is and who is to come? And what we find in that connecting word between he forgives and he by no means clears the guilty, is that God himself has been offered as the sacrifice to walk through the covenant and to make things good with us again. Are you still with me? Okay, well, let's, let's try. Okay. Let me connect you first with the idea of God as a parent with his heart for love. And then let me, let me take you to what he's actually done for us. Because I actually think there's something in our nature that gets this. The ability to continue loving even when um, he keeps steadfast love and faithfulness. Let me just hyperlink that for you real quick. 
when he says he's keeping steadfast love and faithfulness, it's the same language from creation. Of he's of we are to keep the garden with him. He's guarding it. He's protecting it. He's keeping his hesed. I see parents who have children who battle addiction. As I've seen it be possible that those kind of parents love with this kind of keeping hesed love. They keep and protect love for their children, even when their children are going off the rails. So I want to affirm that. Um, I've seen when, um, when parents experience, and this is not me, so I'm trying to inhabit the experience that I've heard pastorally from parents. So come and correct me if I don't get this right and this has been your experience. I've seen when kids struggle with addiction, there's a couple of, there's a variation of responses you can have. The first is straight up anger, right? Stop it, right? There's a really great uh, Mad TV sketch about a counselor who just tells the person just stop it, if you're familiar with that. The stop it, why can't they stop it, anger, doesn't usually get anybody anywhere, does it? <laughs> but it's completely understandable, right? But what Hesed, what keeping covenant protected love looks like is when the parent says, I love this child. I'm keeping space in my heart to love them. But I am also protecting this behavior from destroying everything and everyone, right? And so a parent who's keeping Hesed love, I've seen parents, when they see that child in addiction, they don't hate the child, they love the child. But there grows to be a growing hatred toward the alcohol or toward the drugs or toward the, the thing that seems to have a hold on them, right? And then you start going to parties and when there's an open bottle of wine, you're just mad and that's okay, right? You see somebody on the street that you know is using and it just makes you mad, right? But there becomes a, a way of directing the anger toward what has a hold on them. And what you wouldn't do as a parent to just destroy that from the face of the earth, right? And then your compassion grows. Um, the work that you can do as a parent is to hope to get to the core of why they're coping anyway, right? What was the pain? What was the hurt? How do we uproot that, right, to set them free? This is the Hesed love. This is the image of God that's coming out in you or in your friends or in your family when you're moving in this way of trying to see someone set free from addiction. It is the Father, the Creator's love, that Hesed pillar that you can stand on that you're echoing when you go, nothing shaken the love. But I've got a work of guarding and protecting that I can't quite understand and don't know how to work in. You're echoing the Father's heart as he guarded and kept covenant love toward us when we were going astray. And then the heart of God is directed toward the sin that has the hold on us. His compassion, his guts are moved to unearth what's causing us to go our own way. Going back to the lie of, is God really good? That's really at the root of it. Is God withholding from me? Go back to last week, right? God wants to unearth, he wants to eradicate the sin. The immoral behavior, the replacement of other idols, the other loves. He wants to destroy that. 
so that he can uproot the lie and go, do you see that source of original pain where you thought I'd abandon you and I wasn't good and I was withholding from you? I want to get there so that I can correct that and say, I am who I am. I always have been. I always will be. I love you. That healing has to, that healing can't happen until this sin is eradicated. And so our covenant God said, I know how to eradicate sin. And way back in the first pages of Scripture, way back in the first covenant with Abram, right way back to the story of Exodus, he knew you cannot keep covenant. You can't do it. You can't be a player in this. You're going to have to go to sleep over here on the side, Abram. While we were dead in our transgressions and sins, says Romans, Christ died for us. He always knew that in order to keep Hesed, to keep the pillar straight up, it couldn't depend on us. It had to depend on himself because he is Hesed. It is who he is. I am who I am. Are you with me here? Okay, so Here's Moses on the mountain saying, do you see this stiff-necked people (laughs) that I'm dealing with who keep going back? They're addicts to themselves, to their own way. Help me out here. (laughs) You put me in charge of them, but I I give up. If you won't go with us, this is never going to work. And God says, Moses, it's okay. I am who I am. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who I am in your moment of deepest need. People, my people, me, who want to follow God, you can't keep covenant. That's all right. Because God did it for us. And so Moses asks in that moment, God, I love this idea, but I need to know who you are, who says that you'll go with us. And that's when we got the proclamation of the name, when Moses said, I want to know you. Another great Hebrew word. You don't have to learn this one this time because it'll come back up. Yada, to know, to experience. It's like, um, it's the inappropriate word when Abram wanted to knew his wife, Sarah. Okay, it's got a double entendre because it's deeply intimate to know. Moses says, I want to know you experientially. I've heard about who you are, that you're holy and majestic. You've provided for us, but I need to know that here if we're going out. When Jesus came, who we believe is the person of God, we believe he is Yahweh in the flesh. John opens his gospel and introduces us to Jesus as the one who has made his glory known. Jesus is the experiential knowledge of Yahweh. When we want to know who God is, he says, I'm not just keeping it in a book on a mountain. I'm coming in flesh so that you can see what it means I am who I am. This is who I am for you, merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. Here's the column that doesn't move. I'll show you what it looks like with addicts. I set them free, right? Jesus delivered people. He healed people. He fed people who were hungry. People who've been cast out of society, he brought them back in. People who were born to the wrong race, he brought them in. He brought them into the covenant family. 
He brought in the outsider to say, this is how you can relate to God. You can do it through me. Jesus said in John 17, we get this beautiful prayer of him talking with the Father the night before he was betrayed on a hillside, very much like Yahweh on Mount Sinai watching his people worship other idols. Here he is. He knows he's about to be crucified. And what he prays is, Father, I have manifested your name to them. I have made you known. I have made in reality. My friends, my friends who don't follow Jesus love the word manifest. Do you guys know that this is a word right now? We're going to manifest things. We're going to make things become reality by the force of our mental will. I have friends who ask me to manifest. Hey, will you ask God to manifest a new job for me this, this year? I'm serious. If you're listening to this friend, I'm talking about you. Okay. She wants me to make it happen, make it known, make it real. Jesus says, I have manifested your name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I've made it known. Now, would you keep them in our love? That Hesed pillar of who I am, would you keep this wayward people who are about to betray me and crucify me? Will you put up some guardrails to protect them in my covenant love? I've made my covenant love known to them. And then Jesus bore out the consequence of covenant. It was actually described in the Old Testament. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Jesus took on the actual curse of the covenant of not following God in his own body. He was broken for us. Walked through the pieces for us so that we would not stand on the side of by no means clearing the guilty, but that we would stand on the side of the one who forgives transgression and iniquity and sin. It is in him, his love and his justice, and they've been held together in the person of Jesus. How do you know which side you're standing on? Am I on the side that I love forgiving transgression, iniquity, and sin? Or am I on the side that makes me cringe, by no means clearing the guilty? Jesus says, you come to me. Come to me that you might live. Whoever lives and believes in me will not perish, but will have everlasting life. What's the John 13 one that I wanted, Anna? <laughs> Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How do you know that you're in his love? Have you accepted his death for you? Can you ride his coattails, if you will, into the covenant? You don't have to be covenant faithful. You can't be. He put you to sleep in the first place while you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I already said that, but it's like, bring it home, right? He died for you. Larry asked the question at greeting, have you met, ever met anybody famous? To me, I have. I, I don't know if you guys would consider meeting Beth Moore, meeting someone famous, but to a girl from the Bible Belt whose first Bible studies were with Beth Moore, I was pretty enamored. I got to meet her um, in a, um, a, a ice skating rink, which I remember because of how cold it was on the floor, even though they covered it, and today is kind of reminding me of that day. And I, um, I had met a girl in seminary who was best friends with Beth Moore's daughter, okay? I had a very awkward interaction when I first met her. I'll tell you that story another time, okay? Where I was like, oh, that looks like Melissa Moore. She's like, uh, yeah, do you know her? <laughs> no, I just stalk her mom. Okay, I told you the story. Um, 
Anyway, so Beth Moore came into town in Boston, and so my friend got us tickets. I rode her coattails into the stadium, right? And so when I walked down, I don't know if I can do this because of the speakers, but we walked into, I mean, this is like a giant arena, and we come down, and this is Beth Moore's seat right here because it says Beth Moore, right? This seat says Megan Hackman, and this seat says my friend's name. And so when Beth Moore turned around in the middle of the worship service, she gave a big old bear hug to my friend. And then because I was with her, I got a big old bear hug from Beth Moore. Not because I knew her, right? But because I was with the one who did, okay? This is a little bit of a stretch, but this is what it looks like for us to come to the father of Hesed, who has covenant love for us. We ride in with Jesus. You name drop Jesus and you get the the seat right next to him in the throne room because of the Father's love for Jesus, because of his perfect hesed that he shared with Jesus from the beginning of creation, because of the love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that perfect love. When you say, I'm with Jesus, I accept that sacrifice for myself then you get, the, you get the seat with the name on it right in the heart of God because he loves us. He has always loved us. It is who he is. He's the parent who knows that we've gone astray. But when we could not keep Hesed, covenant, love, and faithfulness, he kept it for us. He kept it. He protected it so that we could participate in it, not only now, but forever. My question is, do you know that love? Do you know it? Have you experienced it? Not just could you, could you chapter and verse for me Exodus 34 and you know that God is holy and it's also in Revelation, but, but do you know, have you experienced the intimacy of knowing that you are loved? We're actually going to sit with that for a minute because I, I know from my own experience from listening to sermons since I was a, a kid. I went to both services because mom played piano and dad was flying. And so I can't tell you how many times I've heard the message, right? But the experience of his love has unfolded over time in the work of the Spirit in me. And so I'm going to actually ask the band to come up and to create some space for us to be in God's love. You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at Cedar Heights Middle School, 2220 Pottery Avenue, Port Orchard. Services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you, and God bless.